Usually I preach after the worship section, but today we're swamping that, and I'm going to go out uh, at 10.30 and Hudson Hall and preach after their worship service. It just occurred to me that with the time change and everything, and then us switching the services, some of you are just so messed up. It just... <laughs> What did I sleep through? What did I wake up? I just don't know what I'm going to do. But we're glad you're here. Uh, and we'll uh, uh, continue our series on, uh, on, the, on the true north. Scientists tell us that something is true only when it can be repeated. That is, if someone says, hey, I have made a new discovery, and here is the process I used to make a discovery, then some other scientist in some other place using the same procedure has to come up with the same result. It is true only if it is repeatable. So you will see a paper released and said in some national scientific magazine that says, hey, we have made a new discovery. Then after that, in the following weeks and months, you will see scientists who have tested that and said, yes, we find this to be true because we got the same results as the previous experimenter. Or we find it to be false because we could not duplicate the results. So the world wants to know, is the gospel true? How do we know that Jesus is who he says he is, how do we know that Jesus can do what he says he can do? That he will do what he says he will do? How do we know that it is true? And Paul's answer to the Ephesians, we know it is true because it is repeatable by ones and by tens by thousands, by millions, the gospel is true because it's repeatable. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we pick up in the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So then, because of everything else I've been telling you, so then, remember at one time that you were Gentiles in the flesh. Call the uncircumcised by those who circumcise, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in this world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and, expressing, ex and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body. Through the cross by which he put hostility to death, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners, no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ and Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. In him, the whole building's being put together growing into the holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in his spirit. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. The work that you began at Calvary to bring everybody together, to bring us all together in one family and one hope, one kingdom. Let that work not be stopped with us, but just get started. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, let's get over it. Uh, I know we say to our friends that this is the hardest time ever to be a Christian and this is the hardest place to be a Christian. And yes, I understand that we are growing, we are now living in a nation that is growing increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. There are lots of reasons for that and there are lots of, uh, of river, uh, streams that make that river. But let's get over it. Ephesus was a lot harder place than here. And the first century where Paul was writing to this church is a lot harder than now. Okay, now I know we always think this is the hardest time ever. Trust me, it's not. Paul would not write of, uh, of having to wrestle or fight the wild beast in Ephesus. Uh, that's what he wrote about Ephesus. He probably wouldn't write that about fighting the wild beast in Brentwood. Okay, if nothing else, we are polite in our viciousness. <laughs> now, can you imagine the church? Okay, in that church, you would have had Jews and pagans. You would have had men and women who worshiped idols sitting next to people that would throw up, it made them physically ill to be near an idol. You would have slaves and their owners. You would have the conquered people and the Roman soldiers who conquered them, all in the same church all in the same worship service, all having experienced the same grace from Jesus. Amen. Now, Paul begins by celebrating uh, the faith in the church in Ephesus, and it is a beautiful opening to this letter. Uh, many of you have memorized parts of this because Paul is just over the top with his praise and the celebration of what Christ has done in each individual life. 
Uh, he says, you remember where you were. You remember what happened. You remember where you were when Jesus found you and how your life changed. Now Paul is picking up on that. So then, because of everything else I've been telling you, now here are the consequences. Paul does this all the time in his letters. He will wax theological. He will celebrate some great Christian truth. And then he will say something like, therefore, Here's the way I want you to live. Here's how I want you to apply this. Here's what I want you to do with it. So then, because Christ is working in each and every individual life, so then he is creating a new people together in him. Now, what Christ has done in your life, what Christ has done in my life, he can do in every life. It makes no difference where you started. Makes no difference about your ethnic background, your family background, or anything else. What Christ has done in one life, he can do in every life. Now the details will change. That is true. But the first thing we all have in common is we're all passengers on the Titanic. Okay, okay, you may be in first class, big deal. Okay, and if you're down in the, in the coach section in the back of the airplane, at least you can say to yourself, well, I didn't pay a whole lot for the ticket. Okay, we're all in that same boat. We are guilty before God and now on our way to be judged by him and that judgment is death. How you got there is a minor detail. Okay, you may have embezzled money, you may have killed someone, you may have stolen uh, drug money, on and on the list goes. Or you may have been never ever break any rule kind of guilty. You're just as guilty and you're just as judged. We're all passengers on the Titanic. What's wrong with us, we can't fix. And it's not a matter of trying, is it? Every January we try. Every February we fail. But we keep trying because we know with just a little more self-will, a little more discipline, we can make our life better. We can't. But Jesus found you. You were once outside the family. And Jesus found you. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what happened? Some of you were in combat. And the mortars were blowing up around you and you, pr you prayed that same foxhole prayer every soldier prays. If you get me out of here, Jesus, I will live my life for you. And you got out of it. And that conversion experience was as real as anybody's experience. Some of you were in the hospital room. Some of you were confused teenagers. 
Some of you reached the height of your success and you walked into the corner office only to realize there's nothing there. And you remember pressing your head up against the window and saying to Jesus, I am so sorry, I have missed it all. But if you'll give me another chance. Do you remember where he were when he rescued you? When he told you, I haven't given up. I still have plans for you. And we're going to start right here. We're going to start right now. Do you remember what that felt like? Do you remember? Now, why is it important to remember? Hold on. Because being saved by Jesus is just the front of the story, just the first of the story. Okay? We as Baptists, we get so excited when somebody comes to Christ, we forget that's just the start. Yay, somebody came to Jesus. That's great, that's great. That's just where it starts, folks. Okay, there's a whole life after that, okay? And remember where you were. Do you remember what happened when Jesus found you? Now, because he found you, he wants you now to join him in finding others who, like you, are outside the family. Now, you're saying, well, Mike, I, mm, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I wouldn't be uh, any good at, at evangelism. You know, they're going to ask me about where God came from, and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to know that. And, uh, I, you know, they're going to ask me something about the Trinity, and I won't be able to explain that. <sighs> you know, I talk to, Jesus, uh, talk to people about Jesus all the time. They, br they rarely bring up the Trinity. <laughs> just easy. I just want to let you know that. Just, rarely comes up. Here's what they do tell me. Mike, look at you. You're a Baptist preacher. You've been in church all your life. That's not my story. That's not my life. This is what happened to me. This is the decision I made. This is what I did. You don't know anything about that. So how in the world can you say that Jesus can save me when you don't know anything about where I've been? And my answer is, you're right. I don't know. But I got a friend who does. And I will call one of you. Say, hey, I'm sitting in my office with a guy who's dealing with what you dealt with. Do you mind meeting up with him? And here's how the conversation will go. I've been where you are. Oh, no, you haven't been, the other friend will say. I've heard everybody I love and everybody that I have grown up with and everybody who believed in me. Nobody believes in me anymore. And my Christian friend will say, oh, yeah, the third time I left rehab, I was exactly where you were. And then there's a connection made that I could never make. You see, that's what Paul is saying. Yes, there is a front door to the church. 
for we stand and say all are welcome but you know most people don't come in through the front door they slip in through the slide side door you're the side door what i mean by that you're the guy standing out by the side door going hey you can get in here you you know yeah i know who you are i know what you've been through your story is my story let me tell you what jesus did for me let me tell you what he can do for you the gospel is true because it is repeatable and it's not limited by nation by language by tribe by ethnic group by experience by sin it's not limited by anything other than our lack of belief. And you will be the connecting point where somebody comes into the body of Christ, where somebody is brought into the family, and then the work continues, and that this building, this construction, this cornerstone of Jesus, all the bricks and the foundation of the apostles, and you and I are now stones in this holy temple that gives a testimony to the world that our God is still here. The tabernacle was in the middle of the camp so that no matter where you were on the, on the journey from Egypt to the promised land, if you got up from your tent and looked out the, the, the front flap, you would see the, the tabernacle that reminded you God is in the middle of his people. The temple was in the middle of the city of Jerusalem so that no matter where you were in Jerusalem, people would be able to see that God is in the middle of his people. Every church is a visible reminder that God is in the middle of the communities. And wherever you are and whatever you're doing, when people look at you, they are visibly reminded that God has not given up that he's in the middle of his people and that he sends prophets and apostles and disciples and witnesses just like you to share the good news, to bring those who are outside inside. And it is all of us together that build this temple, this place of worship, this connecting point, where when somebody walks in, they can say, look, everybody is welcome here. If there's a place for them, there's a place for me. Amen. And we will worship. Everybody bringing their own testimony, everybody bringing their own witness, everybody bringing their own music, everybody bringing their own song. And together, there's a worship service that can't be duplicated anywhere else. It's the song of the redeemed. Those who were rescued from the Titanic of life. Those who remember where they were and can't stop sharing the story so that everybody will know there's a place here for you. So grab your hymn book, put on your robe. You're going to love this choir. 
we come now to the part of the service where we want to worship. We want to respond to this good news of what Jesus has done in our life. We want to spend a few minutes remembering. And so we invite you to this moment of prayer. You may feel free to stay where you are. You may want to come and kneel here. Whatever form your prayer takes is up to you. The only thing we want now is for you to reconnect, more deeply connect with the work that God is doing in you and with the God who's doing the working. The choir and the orchestra and the worship leaders will be taking their place in this prayer time, but you don't let that mess with your focus. This is your time of prayer. So let's pray together.